Welcome to the Intercut Podcast channel, the weekly place to hear the latest on movies, TV, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me up, up, and away, it's Arturo Zurita. Imagine I just start floating here like crazy. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen those Dune trailers, but there's been a lot of floating in the media we've been seeing nowadays. It's too there's much something floating. There's something, something in there's the culture, something in the it, water. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, he's um, influ- he's talked about Wonka in the past for some of his projects, but this was the, mo- the mm-hmm. wonkiest of them all, I will say, <laughs> when it comes to Nathan Fielder. Yeah, uh, Nathan Fielder, a person who you and I have had a lot of time for in his different creative iterations recently, uh, is found a, a new evolution in this limited series from him and Benny Safdie, co-starring yes, Emma Stone on Showtime. I think just one of the most interesting shows that we've had in quite a while. Both of us had it on our top 10 lists of last year. I had seen the finale back then. I don't think you mm-hmm. had. And, I had uh, not. I think, and most people had not. It aired in early 2024, and uh, it, it was it made waves of sorts, or, or maybe it should say it uh, it took off in a certain way. Uh, I think a lot mm-hmm. of people were discussing the show in a way they hadn't been in the weeks prior, because it's certainly one of the most uh, singular and mysterious things that a TV show has done in quite a while. But before we talk about specifically how the curse ended, I think we should talk at least briefly about what the curse did for its first nine and a half episodes, because for those first nine and a half episodes, it was a very interesting comedy of of sorts that got really uncomfortable with certain questions around appropriation, consumerism, uh, voyeurism, just a whole bunch of pet pet ideas that Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie have toyed with in their other projects. So I just want to start out with this. For the first nine and a half episodes of The Curse, what did you think of it as a TV show? It was good. Top 10 material, like you said. Yeah. I thought his approach to it and having a narrative and where he's approaching a lot of the things that he's done in his show with the businesses, when he's been playing a persona of some sorts, being able to make it into a narrative, I thought was really good because a lot of people were surprised by how good of an actor he was. You could see it in the reality shows that he did. But putting it into a character, I think, showcases not only how great of an actor he is, but I think how easily people get duped. Because seeing it as a character, yeah. people people were scared of it. And I found that funny. Because then mean, that means you f- never saw him acting in his other stuff. And you're wrong. Exactly. Like Nathan Fielder does this really interesting thing where he likes to blend the the boundaries between what is real, what is fiction, what is me and what is a character or a characterized version of me, right? Because we've been introduced to Nathan Fielder in several different ways, but how much of what we've been introduced to is actually Nathan Fielder and how much of it is him putting on some kind of performance. And I I agree with you. I think that like pretty much from the start, he's been doing this very interesting nuanced performance of a guy. Like he's, I don't Uh. think he's ever really showing us the real Nathan Fielder, maybe in glimpses, but it, right? it is all even if very, he was, it's a facade. Yeah, it's all very, very carefully crafted for his comedy and for trying to get at the certain feelings that he evokes with the, this specific brand of kind of like uncomfortable cringe comedy. 
and I think you get a lot of that with this show too, whether it's like mm-hmm. the the arguments that devolve into shouting matches between him and Emma Stone, which are played not really for the laughs, but are played for the reality, the discomforting reality yeah. of those moments. He I, he's a very brave performer. You know, it, it, I would can, say so. Yeah. I think you can look at something even as silly as like the sex scene between him and Emma Stone where, where they're like you using the toy or whatever. And it's it's a kind of scene where I think there's a lot of actors out there who would not have the like lack of reservations to yeah. do a scene like that in a way that feels kind of real and cringily authentic. Well, like you're saying, if he's doing that scene already, what precedes that scene? Being told by mm-hmm. his father-in-law, you have a you have a tiny penis. Welcome to the tiny penis gang. Like if he <laughs> already tomato, believes that people are going to stop, bro, that, that, that people are going to uh, already assume some of him in that character. Mm-hmm. Why go ahead and say, and my character has a small penis. Like I think he is <laughs> not afraid. You're calling him brave. Yeah, he is so beyond that because all of this uncomfortableness is to lead you to a truth. Mm-hmm. That's what I think he does best in comedies, that he's leading you to a truth in all the shows that he's done. Even when he's dealing with real people at a business to being a completely fictional uh, reality show that he's doing in this one. I think every single thing that he does is because he's trying to get you into a perspective that other people have not seen. Right. And here they sort of take their aims at this specific type of like white, liberal, progressive capitalist that is sort of using the the facade of being a do-gooder and being charitable to launch themselves as a brand and and launch their own uh capitalistic venture that isn't you know isn't going to live up to the values that they try to say out loud you know they they yeah. try to portray themselves consistently uh the character the characters of Asher and Whitney they try to portray themselves as these really like forward thinking uh you know charitable kind do-gooders who don't want to just take advantage of community they want to uplift a community and they want to tell the, the community the, what they're doing and how right, they're doing yeah it. They don't want to help. They want to tell you how they're helping. Exactly. They they are people who have so kind of like Jedi mind them, mind tricked themselves into believing that they are like the positive change that can exist in the world that That. they no longer do things because they are the right thing to do. They do them in the hopes that they can be, you know, uh, can be chronicled, can be distributed by HGTV. You know, there's Uh that really... Uh, I thought hilarious moment in the final episode when they go to the house that they had lent to uh, to Abshir, the uh, character played by Barkhad Abdi. And fantastic. Asher is hoping, yeah, it, it's a really fantastic kind of like non-performance as I think he's like particularly great at doing. Um, and there's commentary in there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, at, you know, that whole moment where Asher is hoping uh, for this to be this kind of, you know, moment where he can get that dopamine rush of being thanked for how thoughtful and how caring he is and how charitable he is and show off to his wife about what a good person that she's inspired him to become. And he's just interested in the practical reality of, well, if you're giving me the house, then who's going to pay for the taxes? And can you also give me the money to pay for the taxes? And can you get off my property? Cause you're, you're not my friend, you're my landlord. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I just, it, 
it just to me is such a a funny like bursting of their bubble over and over again. Yeah, it was a total of nine episodes or ten. Ten. That's what the first nine episodes did, and that's why it didn't matter what the finale did. It was going to be in my top ten because it got that down perfectly. What is mm-hmm. it? What's the phrase when you're socially something, but you're fiscally conservative? Socially, socially liberal, liberal, fiscally conservative. Yeah. Is this the textbook definition of that? Absolutely. And yeah. then you brought it to the point of what people don't understand is like, how do they not see it? And I think what the show like really relished in was that idea of like, no, these people are so far gone. There is no fixing it. They are right. Even in the problem that they think they're going to create. Right. These people are mm-hmm. trying to to fix something while they're all their funding comes from her parents that she's trying to stay away from. And, right. uh, you know, you're over there and I, I don't even deal with them in their business and whatever. Uh, Daddy, actually, I need uh, however much money it is. <laughs> yeah. What's that line he says? I'm going to come to the bank so we can get it at a, a reoccurring thing. She said, this is the first time he looked at her like. She said, it's a loan. He said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a ch- cherry tomato boy. He knows right. From, <laughs> he knows the truth when he hears it. Yeah. That's what the, the show got down perfectly that I think a lot of other people uh, who may have approached it may, maybe felt like a, a, a pushback from it. There's been other stuff that we've covered, like uh, when you're finished saving the world is a perfect example of someone yeah. being so on themselves that they are the, the the people doing good and anything in the way has become like this biblical thing. Oh, it, they're in my way because I'm doing something so right. They can never mm-hmm. be wrong. And that's what this show does perfectly is that it shows you how far gone they are. I don't think there was fixing any of them it's almost like they had a head full of air and unless it burst or they flew up nothing else was going to happen i i I love everything in those nine episodes before they took that crazy turn right you could end Mm -hmm. a series on hbo in so many different ways and i was not expecting it but as we get closer to the ending i really love that take that they took because the nine episodes already had everything going for you can you could have given me a generic type of ending where they get caught or whatever the almost metaphorical way that they took it and the absurdity of it was beautiful for this ending. And um, yeah, I, 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 I thought his performance and his approach and what you said with uh, uh, Abdi's character was interesting because they are looking not to do things for the betterment, but you, you called it a dopamine hit. And it's this idea that they're only doing it just because they want to have that level up. There's that meme that yeah. goes around about when someone wants to, or the Oprah meme. Oprah gives you mm-hmm. a car, but then you're stuck paying taxes with it. Just like uh, Abdi's character was saying. I even think the casting of him is something that they were using to their favor. I think mm-hmm. Abdi is someone who is in the same realm as Yalitza from Roma, where they hired them for playing a character that was so close to them that it's almost insulting what the Academy is doing because their next performances are no longer good. It was almost like they weren't chosen because they were performing, but because they fit the role so well. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden they're no longer an act- actor. I thought this was him finding a way to cast him almost as proving that point in and of itself. I think there's a, there's a meta element to that, that I thought was, was pretty good. And it goes as far as and we get deeper to it with uh, the actress who played the artist. Yes. And how they approach and that was her what I was going to, that's what I was going to respond with because they did a lot of rewriting on this show after when casting I found certain that out, actors dude. or, or casting or, or casting or excuse me, rewriting after they realized who they wanted to cast, because you mentioned they cast Bakrat Abdi. Then they were searching for girls to play his daughter and they loved both of those girls. They ended up casting that one daughter ended up becoming two daughters on the show. Ooh, nice. Yeah. That's sick. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to compare they... this to the well, finish your point. 
No, just going to say their, their ability to roll with the the cast and kind of play to their strengths, I think, is something that is really, really evident. I mean, I think thought those two little girls were both so, so excellent, just like Bro, they felt completely real. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the artists that they brought, the indigenous artists they brought in, too, I thought had a lot of really interesting things to say that they ended up incorporating into the show. I think people get confused when it comes to filmmakers approaching something like Killers of the Flower Moon had that big one of this is where the script started. It's like, but that's not where it ended. I'm very confused yeah. why you're judging a, 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 a draft, really, right? To mm-hmm. me, that shows that they're listening. And I don't think people get that because, again, it's almost like they're the characters in the show. Oh, well, they didn't do it right from the beginning. I was like, oh, you don't actually want to do good. You live in this pretend world where you don't think you've made a flaw. What I see are creators who do care. In Killers mm-hmm. of the Flower Moon, they didn't have it. How were they supposed to create something they don't know? But when they talked to them, all of the actresses from from Lily Gladstone to everybody else added to that role. Like you're saying here, the moment they cast the artist, it's not that they didn't have lines for her. It's that when the moment she came up to them and said, this would be done differently, the fact they listen says everything you need to know. That is why I like exactly. Show. Other shows won't do that. Other shows will tell them what they're supposed to be or, oh, no, we're mm-hmm. approaching it from this way. You don't understand your character. At that point, you're the two leads in this, in this series. So yeah, I, I appreciate uh, that. Apparently, Nishonia Austin, uh, the, the woman who plays that artist we were talking about, she improvised that line about the meaning of the turning turkey slicing during her audition. And they liked it so right. much they put it in the show. Nah, bro. It's... I think that and scene I, alone I, is probably one of the big scenes that you can um, take out with the adjacent scenes around it and be like, this is the premise of the show. It's this. Yes. Right? Yeah, it's it's a scene that ends up being a microcosm for the larger project. And it's like so it. interesting that it ends up being this thing that they actually didn't write, that they borrowed from the, the actress. But I think it, it highlights the exact same thing that you mentioned, that one of the things that makes them so good as artists is their ability to listen Listening. and their ability to react. I mean, it, you you can take Nathan, Nathan Fielder's previous projects. All of those succeed because of his ability to react to the people involved in them right it, it, he, he because they're reality based he really has to go with the people and, and adjust his vision and it's something that is like an incredible skill that uh they've been able to you know bring across to to the narrative world as well mm-hmm. and the way he's able to get those awkward moments too because you can have something like the rehearsal right where he's able to build this awkward situation he's like the one acting but the other person is genuine god mm-hmm. bless emma stone in this man first off Whew. Who we have Emma Stone where in terms of uh, acting? I mean, at least of her generation, I feel like she's kind of the goat right now. I mean, who Margot Robbie might be the only one hold uh, Margot Robbie might be the only one kind of like holding a candle to her right now. But I'm not sure I could see Margot Robbie do this. But even Margot didn't even get that nomination, did she? She got so yeah. She's shoe into win for me. Why is he acting alongside her and going toe to toe? My hat's mm-hmm. off to you, sir. Yeah, there is that yeah. one scene, and I already know you know it. When they do something so awkward, you're like, that was really weird. And then they're like, this is a really good moment of taking off the shirt. Let's reenact it. And you go, whoa. Whoa, you can cut. Like, the way he approached that was what Instagram comedy thinks they're getting every single time, but they just looked like the cringy version of it. How he was able to, like, get it right the first time. Yeah. And then dig deep into the awkwardness of trying to reenact it. And then he's truly acting within the performance of what would I have done to make this natural? You're like, but how did you get it natural the first time? So impressive, man. It is so just off a technical level. It's Mm -hmm. good. And then to get all these meanings into it. I think it's one of the best things that he's done. Truly. We haven't even talked about Safdie. 
Right, which is, he's genuinely becoming like one of my favorite character actors at this point. Like I know- So can we say it then? The accent is quite goofy in Oppenheimer. It still kind of works for me. I, I think he's- excellent in his smaller roles and like stuff like licorice pizza or are you there god it's me margaret but he is so believable as dougie here just like this trashy guy who kind of has like this sweet side to him underneath it too i i i love this performance from benny they're really good at playing characters who you should not like and then somehow Mm -hmm. get you to be like ah if i just met you without knowing all that other garbage i probably would hang out with you for the day wouldn't i Mm." Mm -hmm. and then i don't know Mm -hmm. if you saw that picture that they said they based that character on it was some reality producer i'm gonna have to send it to you afterwards i I was like yo can you sue (laughs) it was really (laughs) close um we got to say it now. You know, we were talking about the Cohen brothers splitting and who had what, who had the Jews, who had, you know, this style compared to that style. These are two brothers who have kind of split. We've been saying. Josh one and of them Benny, yeah. directing. One of them has not. But one of them is following what he wanted to do. And I think every character that they've played has been impressive. They're all separate yeah. from each other. I think the other it, safety's on the clock, bro. I got to see him. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like I'm I'm not happy about the split because I loved when they worked together, but it's hard to argue against Benny's career arc right now where he's getting right? to act in like Paul. all these amazing movies from amazing no. auteurs and oh, I can't hate that. collaborate with one of the most exciting names in comedy on one of the most interesting shows that we got in the past couple of years. Right? So, yeah, it's and then hard what? it's hard to He comes to... back to direct and he's going to come back as a juggernaut? Like, I only yeah. see good things here. Please take your yeah. break. Act in everything you want because I've been impressed. So I just um, need that Adam Sandler uh, sports cards trading movie with Megan the Stallion to still happen. So so please still happen. That's please. a thing? Uh, it, apparently, that was the next movie they were working on before the split. So I don't know. Oh, uh, damn. He can still star <laughs> yeah. in it. I mean. Yeah. But no, he overall, I thought he was at a very impressive part to the moving piece as almost being the instigator from the outside. Because yeah. he's also coming in trying to make the show what he thinks is going to be what sells. And he's almost slipping mm-hmm. things to her and not to him. And he just does a lot of weird things. You're catching him with yeah. other people's phones. You're He's digging well, he's, things. One of the things weird. that's sort of like a, a strange little undercurrent that doesn't get brought up much is that Asher and, and uh, Benny's character have this previous relationship. They're childhood friends. And it feels like throughout the show, Benny is trying to get back at Asher for something in their past. uh, And that's the real curse? And maybe it is. We can can start to talk about the the finale in a second. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting because the arc of Dougie is sort of, he ends up doing these things to sabotage himself and then realizing he's sabotaging himself and and gets very sad about it. And you can't help but feel kind of sad for him. But that's also like another layer to that type of person. Yes, yes. Two leads and then him. It's like this self-sabotaging that you're doing to yourself. I don't like... When we recommended this, some people went to go watch it. And then I got texts going, why? <laughs> and I went, I always say watch the trailer because if you're not into space movies and I recommend a space movie, the space movie's not going to be bad just because you don't like it. Yeah. This is about miserable people and you just have to be in that state of mind. And maybe I should say that while I think this is his best, you should probably start with something like the, the his show. Then maybe the rehearsal. Yeah. To ease your way into this, because these are very unlikable people, and I think when you're watching a show on, uh, if you even have it, Showtime or Paramount, it's difficult to be like, I don't get what I'm supposed to like in these people. This is Emma Stone. I'm used to liking her. You're coming at it. Yeah, I think it's a show that you do need a little prefacing for if you're an average audience. 
it's also a pretty inscrutable show, the ending more so than the the rest of the season. But it, the rest of the season, too, it's not exactly like a show that comes out and tells you this is what it's about. This is sort of like the clean character arc. This is what our, our cast of friends learned this week. It, it's a little bit difficult. It's a little yeah. bit messy. But it is so... Uh, it's so dense with the these ideas and these themes, and it's not a surprise that like this is one of the few TV shows that has ever been part of the New York Film Festival. Like it does mm. have a very filmic feel to it. Uh, I, I really, really love the way they shot this too. They used a lot of extremely long lenses in order to give the film the whole thing this kind of voyeuristic quality. Like you're you're observing these moments that maybe you shouldn't. Little like mm-hmm. almost like glimpses of accidental behind the scenes footage. Uh, with with these cameras that uh, were were so far away from the actors, they often didn't know where the uh, cameras were. And I, I think it's like Blackberry, sort of, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think it adds a very dramas. kind of like uncomfortable, candid yeah. camera quality to it. And then you get those weird, the cursed opening title morphs. Yes, and it just yes. sets this tone, dude. Yeah, there's so many elements. Let me let me get some threads over here. He when we first see him, he is working for a casino and it turns out that he had such a bad interview. He's willing to throw the casino people under the bus, right? Mm -hmm. So he's going to go hack some like information to be able to give it away so that they give him back that tape. And in there, there's like this breakdown of him being responsible for the gambling addictions that are spreading around. There's that one image when they're walking, right? Where I think it's like supposed to be this almost like meme portrait. Yes. The, do you know I what I'm talking about? Because I don't want to misquote it. No, it's something It's something like an image of a casino, and there's two indigenous people standing there, and one says to the other, like, if only we had invented the casinos earlier or something yeah. like that. It was like it's, this flashback of like how they were yeah, used back then, but they got them back now. Mm-hmm. And, and there's like so much to say there, because even in that, I do think it's critiquing that method. You do have your own at the casino still, too. So you end up being just like the character of Safdie, who is shooting himself in the foot, thinking you're getting somebody back. Right, right. It's really profound. Like, there's there's so many layers to this. There's one, just, just instances. I don't even know what else this means other than the guy who he screws over when he sees him at the store. Nothing. Oh. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing until he's in front of somebody else that he needs to play nice. Oh, sorry. How are you doing? I don't even think he says sorry. He just says, oh, hey. And then completely yeah. ignores him out there. Just those interactions that he's been doing and gathering, I feel, talking to real people for so long. What a master to to put it in these performances, right? Yeah. We haven't even mentioned that he's technically not even a director. The directors are the Zellner bros. Another well, he directed all- some of the episodes, but the Zellner's oh, directed. Oh, okay, my bad. Yeah, the directors. Well, there you go, just uh, that mix between the two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Zellner's, uh, did, Zellner's some did, well. they did Sasquatch. We will be yes. bringing them up for another movie in our Cohen Bracket thing. Um, and those two, I think, just have a... a an angle at comedy and uncomfortableness that Mm -hmm. like what a melting pot to get all of these people into one. We should also mention that your boy, uh, Brigsby bear director, Dave McCary is one of the writers on this show. One of the producers on this show. Because he's married. Uh, to Emma Stowe. Yeah. What's their company again? I, I, I always think on it. Fruit tree. Fruit tree. Yeah. Really good movies at Sundance. They did Brigsby bear. Like Zach just said, um, I just, they were hitting on all cylinders with this. Like you were saying, they went out to make a massive movie, came out with 10 parts of it. And I, I, I think they, they made a killer team. Dude, this is a really good team. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk more specifically about that finale because it is one of the most unique 
episodes of TV I feel like we've seen in a while. One of the most inscrutable and daring season finales, series finales we've had in a while. You know, it's rare that a show makes this bold of a swing with this little attempt to kind of explain itself. It, it, it They seem to be like enjoying the sort of collective throwing up their arms at this ending and, and beating their heads against the wall, trying to figure out what it is. I've seen some interviews uh, and some of the talks that Benny has done um, afterward. And they're, they're very like coy about talking about what they feel like happened at the ending. They, they want it to be open to interpretation. I think there's lots of ways to interpret it. Um, but the main thing is Nathan Fielder's character, Asher floats and floats off into space. It's been, they spend the entire last half hour of that finale on this extended, really impressive set piece. We should probably mention in yeah. which, in which the, in which Nathan Fielder is either on the ceiling of their house or then hanging on barely to a tree before he floats off into space. Um, there's a lot of ways we can, tackle talking about this do you want to talk about it just as a like practical achievement of filmmaking do you want to talk about the literal explanation of what happened or do you want to get straight into like metaphorically what does this all mean what are they trying to tell us i want to start with why the episode started with freaking 20 minutes <laughs> on being on the rachel ray show <laughs> which isn't a show anymore they, they like brought her back just for this Bro, bit i thought they duped her and Rachel Ray was going to release on Wednesday two actors that she had no idea were actors. Yeah, I, I was not expecting this. All of a sudden, we, we get a, a little bit of like a, a time jump until so, yeah. it, it's been after the first season of their show is aired and they're picked up for a second. But yeah, they are the guests on a Rachel Ray program where they're not even getting that much time or attention. Yeah, because what's the name of the surprise? <laughs> Yeah, gotta listen to just, Pussy's Meatball Recipe. They just dedicated it for like 15 minutes, and I'm like, are you saying this is your last episode? Mm -hmm. What a primer. What a goes primer to on, this man floating away. Well, it kind of does set the table in a weird way, because it goes on for yeah. so long, and it gets so uncomfortable. Especially there's that moment right before they they cut, where they're just, it shows them in their living room being, you know... Uh, patched in through Zoom or whatever, and it sits on them quiet for like it feels like half a minute almost. Yeah, and I think I think it kind of sets the stage for this like extended discomfort that the finale gives you. Yeah, I I thought it was really good. I think it sets you up perfectly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, I I let's talk about the the technical side of it because I agree with you. I think the way that they had them out there, you and I were kind of tossing different things out there. You think they built it? I think you said well, wires. I said I, the way his stuff moved, it had to be some Inception stuff. I was convinced that they're doing a lot of this with ropes because the way he moves, it kind of looked like pulleys to me. But it, it, one thing they did reveal in some of those Q&As they've had is that they did build a reverse room for this. Told you. And that all, all of the interiors they've shot all season long were on a stage because they knew they were leading up to this moment and they wanted it to look consistent. So, yeah, there is a reverse room going on, although I have to assume they're using wires for some of that outdoor stuff because I don't think you could... I don't know how you would achieve some of that stuff. He floated away, Zach. <laughs> he <laughs> actually floated away. That one It had real, to yeah. be, yeah. If you yeah. haven't seen the stuff from Inception, I hope but, they release the stuff for this. 
But just the, there's so the, many more just the edges. Fact that, the fact that Inception we can, is a square. Right, right. This was a house, bro. Yeah. He was getting into nooks and crannies. That's where you go as a viewer. And then she's coming in? Well, that's the thing. Is they're able to simultaneously have both of them on screen. And then there's even moments where they're handing stuff off to each other. There's that incredible moment where they're literally hanging on to each other, which I, I don't even know how they started, managed to pull that it's off. just pure witchcraft. And the fact that it is so, like, unanswerable, I, I think, speaks to just the level of, of technical achievement here. Like, it, it it looks incredible, and it because there, you don't see the seams, you don't see the ropes attached yes. to them, you don't see, oh, that's obviously upside down, it makes it that much more terrifying. And the fact that you were never expecting a VFX freaking finale. Right, right. It is end. this... It is You're this like, it higher, gigantic yeah. left turn uh, it, during a show, which uh, while there have been some like allusions to potential like magical elements with the curse have uh, with, yeah. and the missing chicken and stuff like that, nothing quite as grandiose as this. Mm -hmm. What'd you think of it when it first happened? I mean, I was just absorbed in it because it is so, it, it's so tense, like you get that like discomfort in your body and, and, and the the tingly sensation. And I, I was sort of just waiting and, and on the edge of my seat when he floats away in the end, I have to admit that I was like very puzzled because it, it it's such a, such a sudden departure for the show uh, in terms of you, know, like we were saying how it's played out the tone of it thus far, but you know, it's, it's, it sticks with you, right? Like it's it's so it's so viscerally terrifying that you kind of I, I kind of felt it in my body for a little bit, and you I were kept, hanging up. Yeah, right. Like, and I I kept puzzling it over and turning it over in my head and thinking about it. And I think it what I like a lot about it is it does really lend itself well to interpretation. That you can kind of say that it means several things. You can it, there's many ways to make it make metaphorical sense. Uh, there's some ways to try and make it make practical sense if you want that too. But I, I think what's just exciting about it is that it like, it's so unexpected, right? Like it just, mm -hmm. it, it I, I love the way that Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie have been able to catch me by surprise through their previous works. And this is like the ultimate testament to that because it, 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 they lull you into a false sense of comfort and then they give you this like really, really electric sequence. That's not us being hipsters. Maybe it is we us wanted being hipsters a little new, bit so too. They did it, right? And maybe, maybe it is us being hipsters a little bit too, but honestly, I'm okay with that. You know, we, we see I, there's so many finales where we sit here and we argue did they nail it? Did they Land it, yeah. stick the landing? You know, I, we, we talked about succession on this podcast and I think that's one of the great finales of all time. People still are like, ah, I don't know about should Shiv have really done that? Blah, blah, blah. But this, <laughs> this is almost like such a it daring. It doesn't let you though. It, it's, it's such like a daring saying, ending that I don't think you can even argue the monopoly about it. Table. Yeah, exactly. That I'm, I'm only like approaching. I like please, it, but please. I, I just want Devil's to make advocate. sure. Are we not just like, like if they're, they're creators and they've done so much stuff that they just threw it at the whiteboard. Mm -hmm. So they like I it because it's different and we like it because it's different, but that's what gets yes. the mainstream audience to be like, you just wanted something different. I, I think there's two, two ways I would respond to that. One, um, 
sure it it sure there's some aspects of it that make me I'm excited about because it's different, but it's also that it's so well done, right? Like it's not just about being different, but it is about in a moment to moment basis, I am completely engrossed. I'm completely with the show. I really want to know how are how are they going to try and resolve it. So that's one. And the other way I would argue it that is that I don't think it's meaningless. And even if I don't know what the exact meaning is, I think I can still take a lot away from it that even if it's just the base emotions that it leaves me with, mm -hmm. I'm profoundly affected by it in a mm -hmm. way that lesser shows just aren't able to get at. They just aren't able to upset me or disturb me or, or make me think about them as long as this show has. It was a lot of effort for that finale set piece for it to just be a random. Right. So let's break it down then. Yeah. I want to start practically before we get metaphorically. Yes. Practically. I thought it was the house. I, I thought, you see, this is what happens when you make these crappy houses. I thought you, you <laughs> he was going like, to be the same thing that Asher did, that the pressure was off and they had to. The pressure was off this is what happens yeah. when it stabilizes for the, for the temperature. Yeah. Then he went outside and I was just like, that's where I, I, I went, I don't know where this is going. Yeah. I was so with you. I think I thought it was the house at first too. So practically what, what could you possibly give a viewer who liked the reality of this and needs to go? Right. What happened? Right. Okay. So there's a couple potential practical explanations. And I, granted, none of them are like bound by earthly science. I can't give you that explanation. But there's a couple things within the show that would at least point to it. Uh, okay. For one, the episode eight ending that has that uncomfortable car ride home between Asher and Dougie where they have that uh, sort of awkward dinner together. And, and uh, Asher is leaving the car. Dougie sort of swats at a fly, says it's a fly. Asher leaves, and under his breath, Dougie goes, I curse you. Now, we don't know what the curse was that Dougie was putting on Asher. Maybe it was that he's floating away. Maybe it's that he said the word fly, so he was thinking he can fly away, something like that. But, you know, this has been a, a thing running throughout the show, is that Dougie is kind of while he's working with Asher, he's also kind of trying to screw Asher over. And mm -hmm. that guilt that he feels in that moment after Asher flies away, when he just, you know, collapses into tears, sort of points toward a, guilt? a, feel, a feeling of guilt on his part. Okay. Now, now, granted, that's a very natural response to somebody dying or, or getting hurt. Flying you know? away into the atmosphere. <laughs> right, no, but like that's something that humans do is where like somebody, somebody you know dies of cancer and you blame yourself for not being there more or something like that, right? But so he kind of has like a... But he kind of has like a... A more direct correlation yeah. to... Yeah. So that's one way that you could think about the practice. Because you're saying he didn't look confused. Like, why is my buddy floating though? Like... His blood didn't die. It's like, but why this way? Right. He felt okay. Exactly. Continue, he was. Sir? He felt guilty. Uh, there's also the ending of episode nine, where Dougie, Whitney, and Asher all get together in uh, their hotel room to watch the cut of the first episode, and Whitney insists that Dougie show the sort of uh, marital troubles cut that didn't ultimately make it into the final episode. The the Green Queen version. Mm -hmm of their show in which uh, they've sort of done reality TV trickery to make it look like Asher and Whitney's relationship is in trouble and that Whitney would be better off without him. 
Um, and in, you know, in that big confrontation that happens afterward, one of the things that Asher says to her is if you didn't want to be with me and I actually truly felt that I'd be gone, you wouldn't have to say it. I would feel it and I would disappear. That's and the closest there, one. Yeah. And there is sort of like this feeling that like in that moment, the moments right before uh, Whitney is going to give birth to their baby and kind of divert her love and admiration towards a, a new child that she doesn't need him anymore, that, that she doesn't love him anymore. And that because he feel, feels that he's being literally sucked away from her life, like pull, pulled out of her life completely. Now that's, uh, that's a little bit metaphorical as well, but that is another way to look at why did this happen to Asher? Right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't see why this town would randomly have a floating person still. But metaphorically, I got the same thing that you're getting at there. It's like the moment the kid comes into the picture, he realizes he's done. Yeah. He was the baby. And now there's says, an actual baby. Yeah. He literally says as she's going to the hospital, worry about that baby, not this baby in the tree. Right. Like he he's her baby in some ways. Through and through, he's dead. Like, metaphorically, yeah. I think throughout the entire series, you don't get to see it in that way. But you're mentioning the chicken. In his mind, mm -hmm. he's convinced it's the chicken, right? He does that a lot throughout the series where he gets so convinced of himself. Is the ending just fully that? He truly is so dramatic, he sees it that way. And for whatever reason, the 10th episode is where we, we get into that. I think if we would have seen a little bit more of that, maybe. Um, like you said, you do get the curses in there. You get little inklings of it but yeah the way it swings on that last episode is is definitely um yeah. big because everyone reacts to him it's also not like it's just happening to him like you're saying other people are experiencing yes it. i also just it. love what really does it is not our main characters it's the neighbor dude yes what the are you doing <laughs> All right. uh let's talk about one one more literal explanation be uh just being that episode 10 uh the moments before we see Asher waking up on the ceiling of the house is that moment where he's kind of playing with her pregnant stomach. And he says, there's a little me inside of you. And her reaction to that is not to smile. It is to have the most distant, disturbed, far away look. And if that look is not her under her breath, cursing him or, or thinking about a reality without him, I'm not sure what it is. Uh, but is it in that moment that maybe, Whitney curses Asher or, or does or does something to kind of send him away. So at those this, are some of the, yeah. At this point, everyone and Paramount Plus have cursed Asher. Yeah, basically. Uh, but talking more about the metaphorical aspects of it, there's that one thing that we, th there's that one aspect that we kind of alluded to that this is Asher being broken up with. He's mm -hmm. being removed from Whitney's life and left in the vast, cold emptiness of space, which is, you know, analogous to the feeling of being alone and being single. Like when, when you're broken up with, it's not just that you lose a relationship, it's your entire world uh, dissolves. And in this yeah. moment, when she is moving on from him and moving on to her, her baby, his world is kind of being ripped away from him. So yeah, there's that. No. I agree which, with that for sure. Yeah, which is one way to look at it. The way that I like to look at the ending, though, is I think that what's happening to Asher is sort of a reversal 
of what he and Whitney are in Española for, that he is now experiencing basically what the residents of Española are experiencing. Because this whole reality show that they're doing, where they come into a town that is, you know, financially, is, you know, not as financially well off, has some like uh, poverty and, uh, houselessness and broke and broken down homes. They're coming into this destitute area and sort of imposing their own vision of what would be better. It's like they're, they're trying to solve the situation through their eyes and not consulting with the town. It sort of puts the townspeople of Española in the position that Asher gets put in in the end because he's in this perilous situation. And although there are people offering their help, there's the fire department, you know, throwing a a net around him and cutting down the tree. Dougie shows up to try and help. The doula shows up to try to help. None of them are, are really doing what he's asking for. And they don't realize that they're putting him in even more danger by trying to help him. And then ultimately... He tur- his pain gets turned into entertainment and spectacle the same way that his show turns other people's pain into entertainment and spectacle. For me, I think that's the, the explanation that feels in line with everything that's come before it, that feels like it's of a piece with what they were doing in those first nine and a half episodes, critiquing the types of people that Whitney and Asher are. Mm-hmm. To see it in an actual visual medium, even if it's not true, that this is the emotion. Someone is crying. This out is what it you feels what like. Yeah. And people stare at you and then give you the complete opposite. Right. May I ask? Think about a, a homeless person on the street who is being ignored by people passing them by. Right. For sure. Then why not her? It's her money. That's totally fair. That's totally fair. It's her fair. show. <laughs> I think there's a version and- of it where it looks like she got out scot-free. I, yeah, they're, they're totally because I love that explanation for... so much. I go, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> like, why, yeah. why did she get free from that? That's the only thing that I, I can, I can think of, but that's, yeah. that's a great. So if, if we want to, if, if we want to just like get further into that, I think maybe what it could be is related to the fact that she sort of comes from money and she's got this kind of like, um, she'll be okay. In, she's insulated from the issue a little bit more like the house and like, yeah, exactly, exactly, right? And that Asher is more self-made, but he might not be able to withstand the kind of, like, downfall that she can always return to her parents and, and be part of that business. So Easily. maybe it's yeah, beca- yeah. because he's, like, maybe he should know better. You know, obviously, he, there is that moment in the 10th episode where he actually has, like, an insightful response to... um the the indigenous character deciding to quit art like he is fully aware of the problems that he is a part of in a way that uh-huh. I don't know if Whitney is true I don't think so I just think that at the I, yeah. I was about to give him more faith I was like I don't think so actually he he's a no I I saw what he did at the beginning for the uh for the gambling thing I think you're on it yeah. with the she gets the shield he's the one who gets the punishment when people get caught Right. It's right. never going to be the hers. It's always going to be these people, the lower levels, who will get the punishment, and they just continue doing it again. Exactly. I mean, her yeah. parents got caught, and they're still fighting right. her. Right. Exactly. Like, that just so, showed you what the prequel did when it was about them. So. Yeah. So I mean, look, that, yeah. that's the thing that's so exciting about this to me, though, is that all of these explanations make some Sparks sort of discussion. sense to me. 
But yeah, yeah it, it, none of them necessarily are exactly right. And, you know, it, it's it, it may be hard to puzzle and hard to know exactly what to feel about it, but that we can have this kind of discussion about it is so exciting. And I don't think there's a lot of shows on TV that merit this type of of, of uh, conversation. So to me, that makes The Curse an absolute standout. Like an, the finale in particular is like an all-timer to me. Even if I don't know if this is my favorite Nathan Fielder project, I, I might still put the rehearsal and Nathan For You above this one. Like I, I think mm-hmm. he's just a modern master of comedy. Yeah, I think he's been going, doing some good stuff, and I think it's uh, pretty simple. What's that uh, Willy Wonka candy that they eat <laughs> that makes you float? <laughs> shoot i wish i had had whatever it it was that's what it was that's that's what he took that's what i'm setting with that's why he played the theme in the rehearsal willy wonka candy that makes you float hover chalk it's called hover chalk of course yes (laughs) i will write in the tip of my tongue (laughs) yeah easily easily uh i mean yeah if if he truly is willy wonka i want to spend more time in the factory whatever is coming up next i'm I'm very excited for it um any other notes that we should talk about with the curse before we we finish? You know, I was gonna me- mention uh, one other small detail that I thought was really funny because we we discussed the aspect of their their charity, Whitney and Asher's charity, and mm-hmm. while sometimes their charity is more in the interest of their own profits, I did think it was funny the whole subplot with the the jean store and Whitney continuing to pay for all the stolen jeans. In a in a way that she's trying to not feel like she's uh, persecuting disadvantaged people, but in but she's creating the situation in which she's like fostering an environment of increased crime because of it. Genius! When y'all it's are really, ready to really... apply that to where it's actually happening in the real world, magical <laughs> things will happen. Yeah, profound. You you hit it right on the money. You are training people to do bad and you're throwing money to fix a situation because you yeah. don't need money at the end for this entire thing. You already have it. It's how do you fix someone when it's not even money that you are going to get? How do you fix someone's ego? You can't. Yeah. That's the scariest yeah. thing. That's the real curse. There we go. There we go. I think that's a, a pretty smart place to end it. Uh, so no last last thoughts. You, you enjoyed the show. Did, did the Hell yeah, did bro. the finale make you enjoy it any less? It did because of the discussion. Really? Oh, you didn't no, like no, the... I, meant, I meant that in a positive way. I, I, I oh. just processed you said less. It made me like it more. It did not make me okay, like cool. it less. I, I, it, the show was so good. I was being honest. It did not matter where they were going to take it. But taking yeah. it this way, I thought was pretty profound. Like it would not have moved off my list. It made it one where you actually get to have a discussion out of it. You get to see different perspectives. And I think if you would have done a regular ending, you don't get this talk. You need to make it so bonkers that then this boring political talk becomes the normality of it. And if that's yeah. why they did it. A plus plus. So be it. A plus plus. All right, so those are our thoughts on The Curse, but I definitely am curious to hear from the inner cuties what you thought of the show in general, of that finale specifically, which of our interpretations makes sense to you, which ones are we talking out of our asses on. Just let us know in the comments down below or shoot us an email, intercutpod at gmail.com. Lots of places to get in touch with us, including across social media, at intercutpod, as well as our Patreon, patreon.com slash intercutpod, and our Discord where we chat with y'all folks 
folks throughout the week. You can catch a link to that in the description of this episode. You can find more from me at Zshevich across social media or my videos at Multiplex Show on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me over at LME Movies on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff for every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on whatever your favorite podcatcher is or subscribe to us on video at youtube.com slash intercutpod where you can catch our decaffeinated faces. We, we can use go. some more coffee, right? There you uh, go. I did not have enough coffee today. <laughs> There we go. Uh, and we break down the latest inter- entertainment. Please leave us a comment, like the video. Consider hanging over to iTunes or Spotify to give us that much requested five-star review. Shout out to our listeners in Germany for putting us on the film review charts out there. And uh, th- you can catch us throughout the week across social media. <laughs> you okay there? Do you spill? I, uh, I feel bro, like I you've been... damn near spilled everything. I had more water in here than they had in all of Dune. Damn, bro. I just spilled everything. The curse is on me. That's what I get. One of us cracked it, and I'm getting the punishment now. <laughs> uh, but that's all for this week's install or this episode of the Intercut Podcast. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and until next time, I curse you.